Well, I love that intro. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, your host, Janine Mala. Now, we had kind of a busy week, and so we're going to kind of make this a little more conversational today. Uh, there's been so much in the news lately, it's kind of hard to choose. But since the G7 environmental talks, well, the G7 talks anyway, uh, just took place last week, uh, let's talk about it. So, you know, the headline says G7 talks, a failure of casino capitalism. Now, I'd love to lay claim to that phrase, casino capitalism, but I can't. That actually came from a think tank. Um, I believe it was the Transnational Institute, but I'll get the quote later. So let's look at what we're going to talk about. So last week's G7 talks were an abysmal failure, but, you know, we shouldn't be shocked shocked by that obvious conclusion. Uh, First of all, what is the G7? The G7 is basically a group of Western nations, with the exception of Japan, that are for the most part majority European, and they get together to discuss how the world is going to do business. If that sounds incredibly arrogant, well, it sounds that way because it is, but let's go on with it. So the G7 is the United States, Canada, France, Germany, uh, let's see, Japan, Italy, and let's see, who am I missing here? Looks like I'm missing Canada, U.S., France, Germany, uh, Japan, Italy, oh, and the United Kingdom, of course. And then, of course, there was a European Council president. So the leaders that showed up, you know, were the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, you know, the younger, halfway good-looking one that Ivanka Trump was salivating over. Um, And you have Joe Biden, President of the United States. Prime Minister of the UK, the United Kingdom, is Boris Johnson. He's kind of a Trump wannabe, but now he's toning it down a bit because he knows he has to. French President Emmanuel Macron, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, uh, as well as European Council President Charles Michel, and Japanese Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihida Suga, Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi, and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. So, you know, this you see this this group they get together, and the idea is they're going to decide. The fate of the world. We really should have a drum roll here, especially regarding not only economic things, but also COVID, the COVID crisis and, of course, the thing that's on everybody's mind, at least if you're an environmentalist, which is global change. So the G7, they got together, and, we again, we shouldn't be shocked by the fact that they failed, and they failed horribly because the G7 talks were always meant to serve the casino capitalists while allowing the planet to burn. Now, The Guardian, which is a very good paper in the, United, in the United Kingdom, reported that while the G7, quote, reaffirmed goals, quote, they failed to provide funds needed to reach them, end quote. And that was according to multiple X in a piece published this past Sunday by Fiona Harvey, and that's one of the first documents we're actually going to look at. Now, predictably, the G7 merely served as a rubber stamp for what I call corporate fiscal wet dreams and little more, okay? Furthermore, the news of environmental activist protests was treated as kind of a 
a charming but childish tantrum that the alleged adults in the room generously tolerated, except groups, it's groups like Extinction Rebellion that are the actual adults in the room. We may as well have provided pampers for these world leaders for all the actual leadership they provided. Okay? And that's really a shame because Angela Merkel of Germany actually is a scientist. She knows better. So the first thing you see in this piece from The Guardian titled G-affirm, reaffirm, G7 Reaffirm Goals but Failed to Provide Funds Needed to Reach Them, um, piece by Fiona Harvey. You see this photo, and it's G7 at Cornwall. So this is taking place in the United Kingdom. And they're standing on these, I guess, constructed platforms at the beach. And, you know, it's kind of pathetic. I don't know who the photographer was, but it was totally just without any sort of insight. They look like an overage varsity football team past its prime. And then you have people posing as environmentalists. Like, for instance, you have Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada. He pretends to be an environmental guardian, yet the tar sands business ownership hails from Canada and Japan. Okay, let's look at it. Can anyone say Fukushima, the ultimate case of criminal incompetence? Now, I'm not blaming that particular prime minister, but once again, Japan has failed to take care of business. Um, you know, this whole thing is ridiculous. And, and as for the European Commission tied to the World Bank and, and these type of groups, these are the colonial powers that have victimized the global south, especially when it comes to global climate change. But we'll get to that in another report. So let's get to it. So Fiona Harvey reported for The Guardian, and she basically said, okay, the G Summit ended with rich nations basically reaffirming a goal to, quote, limit global heating to 1.5 degrees Celsius and agreeing to protect and restore 30% of the natural world by the end of this decade, but failing to provide the funds experts say will be needed to reach such goals, end quote. Wow. So basically, that is a very well-written way of saying that the G7 leaders who are basically dictated to by the billionaire 1% and corporate interest in big banks, let's be honest here, you don't have to point them out individually, but that's, we know that's what's happening, um, you know, they have these nice sentiments, but they didn't uh, allocate any funding to get it done because, you know, once again, they're seeing what they can get away with. Boris Johnson, uh, according to Fiona, um, Fiona Harvey, supposedly needed a successful G7 deal on what's called climate finance. And that was so that <clears throat> there would be some uh, momentum for these UN climate talks coming up called uh, COP26. And that's for the Glasgow Climate Change Conference. And that's going to be held in Glasgow this upcoming November 2021. So let's talk about this. What is climate finance? Because it's very nice to say we want to support these goals. We're going to cut emissions. We're going to use renewables. You know, we're going to clean, you know, the rivers and so on and so forth. But how are you going to pay for it? Okay. They say climate finance. 
And that is defined, it's provided by rich countries to developing nations. And that's to help them cut these greenhouse gas emissions. Now, translation, what I see is, okay, the rich countries that caused the majority of this pollution is going to provide this alleged aid to the global south, which is poorer and browner. But there's going to be strings attached, I suspect. Do I have proof of that right now? No. But I do know right now that the World Bank, um, you know, will basically attach conditions to any sort of aid they have in the past. Um, once again, this was supposed to help the impacts of climate breakdown, but it's fallen short. Now, and the executive director of Greenpeace, named, a woman named Jennifer Morgan, explained, quote, the G7 has failed to set us up for a successful COP26 as trust is sorely lacking between rich and developing countries. Again, COP26 is this, uh, basically this, this climate change conference is going to take care, take place in Glasgow this upcoming November. Um, and I agree with her, but of course there's trust that's sorely lacking. I, I mean, do you really think the rich countries of the West that caused the majority of this problem really want to clean up their mess? Of course not. These are the same colonial powers. This is just colonialism 2.0 in my opinion. But Jennifer Morgan of Greenpeace goes on to explain that if there isn't uh, more of a commitment to climate finance, that, there's, they're, that they're going to have a hard time getting a cop deal um, from the global south. There's going to be some retaliation. So the developing world is saying enough's enough. They're calling the West bluff. And keep in mind, the developing world does, make, does constitute the majority of countries at UN climate talks. And they can make or break any deal. So the prime minister was left to, quote, reannounce previously allocated cash, uh, as reported again by The Guardian in an article entitled All Hot Air, UK Commits to Climate Action but Not to New Funding. And that was in the form of 500 million blue, this, this 500 million pound Blue Planet Fund. And that was for marine conservation. Um, so, again, the, the British Prime Minister said, look, you know, we're announcing this again. You know, we've committed this, this cash, but it's old cash. It was already allocated. But, you know, it made him look like he was doing something. The meanwhile, quote, while the other G7 members refused to stump up funds. That's right there in the article. Okay. And it's estimated that about $2 billion is needed to help countries phase out coal-fired power genera generation. Um, and, you know, once again, this is the global south calling out the rich countries of the West, because again, they've been talking the talk, but they have been reneging on any sort of financial assistance. So Malik Amin Aslan, who's the climate minister of Pakistan, has a quote here. He said, quote, the G7 announcement on climate finance is really peanuts in the face of an existential catastrophe. It really comes as a huge disappointment for impacted and vulnerable countries like Pakistan, already compelled to ramp up their climate expenditures to cope with forced adaptation needs, end quote. And he's right, all right? The fact is this, the rich countries of the North and the West 
caused the majority of this pollution and benefited from it. They benefited from it financially. And it's the global south that is poorer and browner that has paid the price, not only in terms of, of money, but in terms of having their lands taken away from indigenous people in the name of alleged fiscal progress. Uh, we call it colonialism. The global south has also uh, been hurt by the fact that as a result of, for instance, extensive mining, a lot of areas in South and Central America, their water has been poisoned, which is why a lot of people in Central America, for instance, and South America are migrating to the North because they don't really have a choice and we're the ones that cause the problem. Okay? But that's not, it's touched upon in this article. It's not really, it doesn't go into any in-depth discussion. Um, and these poor countries argue the rich did the most to create the climate crisis, which is true. These poorer nations face these rising debt burdens, including from not only climate change, but from COVID-19. And they don't have any money to invest in clean energy. They don't have any money even to vaccinate their populations, which is another discussion right there, because we have big pharma and President Biden refusing to waive the patent monopolies that big pharma holds on the COVID vaccines, which would allow these countries to create generics right there on, on site, but it's not happening. But that's another subject too, but it was in discussion at the G7. And so there was an atmosphere of distrust. There was also arguments over Brexit. Um, Boris Johnson was accused of basically reneging on previous commitments. Um, there was also the UK's decision to cut overseas aid, um, which really undermined the UK's insistence that they want other nations to increase climate finance. There wasn't much decision on fossil fuels, even though the International Energy Agency, which is the primary agency for not only energy data and advice, but they really do, this particular agency favors fossil fuels. And they came out and said that countries must halt, quote, halt all new fossil fuel exploration and development from the end of this year to keep within that 1.5 degrees um, Celsius threshold, okay? Um, so once again, there was a verbal commitment to end financing coal overseas and phasing out fossil fuel subsidies by 25, but according to Fiona, quote, the G7 stopped short of calling a halt to the exploitation of new fossil fuel resources, end quote. So now we've got senior campaigner of this pressure group called Oil Change International named Laurie Vandenberg, and she was quoted as saying, quote, the G7 has failed to commit to what leading economists, energy analysts, and global civil society have shown is required, an end to public finance for all fossil fuels. Our climate cannot afford further delay, and the failure of the G7 to heed these demands means more people impacted by the ravages of our climate chaos, end quote. And I think what's really interesting in Vanderberg's statement is demanding an end to public finance for all fossil fuels. You know, we don't really think about that, but of, of course these fossil fuel companies want to keep the public finance part going. I mean, basically it's the taxpayers 
paying for this. They're funding all this. And and these fossil fuel companies don't even really have to pay the full cost of doing business. Of course they want to milk this cow as dry as they can. And that and there shouldn't be public finance for fossil fuels. That's nonsense. So that's part of it. Now let's get to the very quickly the protests. There were some really interesting protests here. You know, Greta Thunberg, God bless her, has come out and she accused, you know, last year the adults of wanting to hold on to their fairy tales. It's time to grow up, and, and Greta's right. So, meanwhile, the mainstream media pretty much ignored the climate protesters, and that's not a small coincidence. They did talk about some of the, oh gosh, I'll call it uh, protest art or whatever, like, my, isn't this cute? But let's talk about some of it. Extinction Rebellion. You've got to love these people, okay? They're committed to nonviolent protests but they won't back down, okay? They are, I'd say, almost the equivalent of, in terms of commitment of Black Lives Matter, except their thing is climate change, okay? That's just my opinion. So there is a piece that ran on Extinction Rebellion's own website, and they talk about how they marched the G7 summit. They sounded the alarm. One protest, this is really kind of funny, featured members wearing these masks, which were photos of G7 leaders reclining on the type, the type of deck chairs, you know, used by old-fashioned cruise lines. And the deck chairs were rearranged periodically. And, and here's the kicker. The name of the ship listed was the Titanic. The irony of this visual metaphor isn't overlooked other, by anyone with any brains other than the G7 leaders because they don't care. I'll just say it, okay? They might say they do, but if you really care about something, you care about the planet that our kids and grandkids will inherit, whether it will actually be habitable, then you stop just talking and you actually get something done. To borrow a phrase, which I admit is a little vulgar, but it gets to the point, I feel like telling these G7 leaders, either shit or get off the pot. Okay, it's really that simple. That's what Extinction Rebellion is telling them in a more polite way. And so these protesters, hundreds and hundreds, they went through the narrow streets of this little seaside town of St. Eve, which was near the Carbis Bay Resort where the G7 talks were taking place. And these are the leaders of supposedly the world's biggest economy. Now, here's the thing, though. China is a big economy, and there was no Chinese representation there, so I would challenge whether or not they're the world's biggest. But the Extinction Rebellion did some really funny things, which got the point across. Um, the idea was, even though they were escorted by police, don't you love that? I mean, who wants to? Who would ask to be escorted by police? Get real. But they were, and uh, you know, it didn't stop them. Though they were nonviolent, but they 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 were sounding the alarm, as they said. And the participants were encouraged to make as much noise as possible. They had drums, air horns, rattles. Um, there's a quote from Melissa Carrington, who's the Extinction Rebellion spokesperson. She's also a retired environmental consultant. And she said, quote, it needs to be said loud and clear. We are sounding the alarm because we are facing catastrophe, ecological collapse, and climate collapse. And she's right. What's happening in the global south now will be happening to us soon, so people need to know this. 
The G7 leaders need to know that vague promises are not good enough. We need policies. We need plans. We need enshrined in law. And we need immediate urgent action, end quote. And Carrington is quite correct. Okay? These protesters are calling out the the nonsense that's coming out of the G7's mouths and their public relations spokespeople. They're calling it out for the horse hockey that it is, the bullshit. So the march basically delivered letters with messages to the Gatesville Hotel where the leaders were meeting, and I'm sure that those letters were promptly thrown into the circular file, the trash can. Um, but it's funny, in this little town, the UK was able to bring in over 6,000 police officers to escort so many hundred protesters. Nothing like overkill, right? Uh, there were security checkpoints. And, you know, this is something, they, and then on top of it all, they had their bogus designated protest sites. Okay, that's what they call it there, designated protest sites. In other words, the protest pit that George W. Bush set up, okay? Don't you love that language? Even Orwell would have laughed at that one. But they had it. There was also another activist uh, group called the Resist G7 Coalition. They threatened they will boycott the sites in favor, the sites that were um, basically given as places they could protest, they wanted, they wanted to get as close to the venue as they could. Um, so, you know, once again, that's what's happening. Then we have Greenpeace. Greenpeace did something really, in terms of protests, really funny. They used 300 drones to send a message to the G7 leaders. And it was very artistic, but I think it was lost on those leaders. You know, in order to have an impact, you have to be dealing with people that not only have a conscience, but that they have a conscience to all people, not just the people they think are acceptable. You know, that's the whole thing with, especially with white supremacy. You know, it's one of those things where they don't see all people as acceptable, especially when you don't have money. But they took these drones and they have, they have lights on them. And like at one point in the sky, it looks like this giant whale hovering above. And then another one they show different types of animal life in the sky using those drones with the lights. And then um, in bold print, uh, the message stop extinction. Another point, um, or and stop extinction Greenpeace. Just the visuals are beautiful. You have to look at it yourself. Now Greenpeace is demanding that G7 countries, you know, kick it into gear regarding climate activism, okay? Um, and they, had, they even had a film of it, okay? That's the other thing. And the film that Greenpeace put together with these images, which is, I think is available, the film was narrated by kids, by little kids, and the music um, was composed by Emmy-nominated Hannah Peel, who also worked on Game of Thrones. And it, it basically asking the G7 leaders to, quote, act now, okay? And they're requesting not only a green recovery from COVID, but um, they're also demanding that G7 not only make these climate commitments, but deliver. In other words, stop, make, you know, it's kind of like the G7 is the fiance or the husband that makes promises 
and doesn't keep them. And then, you know, the biggest promise is that they'll be faithful, and then they cheat on you anyway. So they're telling you, no, you got to deliver. And at the start of Greenpeace's film, there's this kid narrating, and it, it starts with the lines, quote, once upon a time, world leaders gathered in Cornwall to decide our future. Okay? Uh, and then, end quote, and then in the film, you know, the leaders are urged to, quote, do their jobs, fight for the planet. And the last sequence of the drone display in this film, I didn't realize it was a film. It is a film. This child says, quote, hope comes from action, not words, end quote. And that's something we need to tell the Democratic Party, okay, especially, you know, the, the people that love Barack Obama so much. You know, I voted for him twice, but the fact is he sold false hope. Hope comes from action, not words. We've heard all the words in the world. We're tired of them. You need to actually deliver now on your promises. So Greenpeace's UK senior climate campaigner, Ariana Densham, was quoted as saying, quote, this film is a beautiful amalgamation of art, activism, and cutting-edge technology, but its message is simple. World leaders must act now if we are to tackle the climate and nature crisis, end quote. It sounds lovely. I would add that I, I find the irony of children speaking in the film, and, and this, the tone is basically, it almost sounds like the film is speaking to world leaders like they were some naughty, selfish children. And you know what? That's pretty accurate. So anyway, um, this uh, Ariana Denshin with Greenpeace went on to say, quote, the G7 cannot be another target-setting exercise, resulting only in wasted time, political chest-bumping, and more empty promises might as well be written in the sand of Carbis Bay Beach. We need bold commitments, but they must also be urgently delivered. World leaders have the power to tackle the mounting and interconnected crises we face, but only if they act now. End quote. And then she goes on, and Greenpeace goes on to say, quote, leaders must make good on and increase the promise $100 billion per year in climate finance to countries hardest hit by the climate crisis, as well as, can as well as cancel all debt for the global south and honor international aid commitments, end quote. And that's very important because a lot of countries in the poor global south, in order to gain aid, they were required often by the World Bank to sign off on these loans, there's no way they could have afforded. Okay, and it was just another way to steal their land. So there were some more artistic protests, okay? There was one, and this was against the, what they called the criminal inaction of the G7. And they made a sculpture, which was a um, uh, kind of, it was meant to be a reproduction of Mount Rushmore. It was done Mount Rushmore style but they called it Mount Recyclamore, and it was made from electronics waste, and it basically carved out the G7 leaders, um, and it was placed on the beach right opposite the hotel where these leaders were staying. I love it. The artist's name is Joe Rush, and, um, you know, the artist told the BBC, quote, we have this looking at them, and hopefully we're going to prick their conscience and make them realize they're all together in this waste business, end quote. It sounds lovely, but what conscience? I think all they care about is money and power. Um, and the sculpture itself, this Mount Recyclamore that's like Mount Rushmore, 
It depicts Boris Johnson, President Joe Biden, Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga, French President Emmanuel Macron, Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And, you know, I love it. I mean, the irony of it is just too juicy. Uh, and they talk about how the UN report cited some 53 million tons of e-waste that was generated globally, and it's going to more than double by 2050. And um, the sculpture itself was made out of all discarded electronics, uh, keyboards, computer monitors, circuit boards, and so on. Um, one of the funders of this was the, uh, uh, the CEO and founder of a group called Music Magpie, Steve Oliver, and he was quoted as saying, e-waste, quote, e-waste is a growing problem worldwide and its impact on the environment is significant. If sent to landfills, e-waste can leak harmful chemicals into the soil and water, or if incinerated, fumes release chemicals into the air contributing to global warming. Not only this, but everything from our phones to our laptops rely heavily of precious metals to operate, which are not only limited resources, but also directly impact climate change when being extracted from the earth. We need to better educate and empower people to make changes today. People can support a more sustainable circular economy by doing something as simple as trading in or recycling their tech, which will extend the life of those devices and their parts, end quote. Again, we have to end the greed, folks. Now we have something a little more serious. And this was a piece called Daily Briefing. It's from a group called Carbon Brief. And this is basically talking about what all this means in terms of the utter refusal of the G7 to provide anything more than broken promises and more lip service. And the headline is G7 Summit, Broken Promises of Rich Nations Cast Shadow Over Climate Deal, says United Nations Chief Antonio Guterres. Okay? And Guterres calls him out. All right? He calls them out, these major economies, as a big part of the failure to meet this $100 billion carbon, $100 billion target for, once again, international climate finance by 2020. Okay? We have to help out the global south. It's the moral thing to do. And to make it simple for these uh, ethically compromised world leaders, You've heard the old phrase, you broke it, you bought it. In other words, you broke it, you have to fix it. So Guterres, UN, um, I'm sorry, UN Chief Guterres quote, tells the paper, quote, all G7 countries have committed to net zero emissions by 2050, but that is not enough. We need to make sure that emerging economies are also able to commit to the, to the same. And the truth, the truth is that there is a certain level of mistrust in relation to the commitments made by the developed countries, namely to finance the mobilization of $100 billion in support of developing countries every year. It was supposed to start in 2020. It didn't happen. And then the Times adds, quote, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson intends to push world leaders at this weekend's G7 summit to contribute to a Marshall Plan-style fund to support large-scale renewable energy projects across Africa, in parts of Asia, but that effort is in doubt over whether Treasury will be prepared to contribute British money, end quote. Then there's another uh, quote here from Reuters. Reuters reported that President Biden, when he arrived, um, added that um, some other things, that 
quote, the G7 meeting is expected to be dominated by vaccine diplomacy, trade, climate, and an initiative for rebuilding infrastructure in the developing world. The New York Times covered President Biden's trip, and they said, quote, excuse me, as he travels to Europe on Wednesday for this week of summit meetings, U.S. allies wonder whether Mr. Biden can deliver on climate. It adds, quote, world leaders remain leery of the United States' willingness to enact serious emissions legislation and deliver on financial promises to poorer countries, end quote. Reuters again reported that both the EU and the U.S. are, quote, set to pledge deeper cooperation on tackling climate change. Wow. Don't you love Reuters? Could that be any more vague? Set to pledge deeper cooperation on tackling climate change. Specifically, what types of uh, cooperation? Is it going to be fiscal cooperation? Is it going to be technological advice? Is it going to be um, providing some sort of assistance to low-wage families in the global south so they can convert over to non uh, convert to renewable energy? What is it? Okay. Uh, Reuters also cited a draft statement that prepared for the summit um, in Brussels that's going to be next week, this coming week. Uh, an editorial in The Guardian on the UK that Johnson and Biden will, quote, downplay any differences and amplify issues that bring their countries into strategic alignment, such as the COP26 climate talks later this year in Glasgow. Okay, end quote. Again, this is all bureaucratic speak. Uh, you know, here's the deal. Really sound professional people, including journalists, if they get a quote like that that's full of jargon, They'll cite the quote, but then they'll explain it, and then they'll question it. Because that quote, listing that quote without context is useless. It just is. I mean, what do they mean by amplify issues that bring their countries into strategic alignment? Specifically, strategic alignment on what? And if you do achieve that strategic alignment, to what level? Are there percentage target points? Are there benchmarks? Nothing. No benchmarks, no description of um, basically qualifying uh, definitions, nothing. Because this is very shady. You know, you write a statement like this, you don't actually have to produce results. Sometimes I wish these world leaders had to function like teachers are, where you had to write a goal, it had to be measurable, especially in special education, and you had to have benchmarks. I mean, maybe we need to treat, maybe we need to treat these corporatists and these world leaders that are the enablers of corporatists. Maybe we need to treat them like they're special ed students. I don't know, but I, I see these these quotes and I get so angry by them. Um, the Guardian, uh, you know, once again asked if that whether quote the world's richest democracies will come together in Britain this week with global heating high on the agenda. Can they match? Big promises with concrete action, end quote. Okay, it's not a matter of can they match promises with action. It's will they. They can if they really wanted to. They just don't want to. Okay, they're waiting for somebody, in my opinion, they're waiting for somebody else to pick up the tab. Um, you know, once again, this is what we're dealing with here. And... 
we hear all these promises, a green Marshall Plan. That's nice. Specifically to do what? I mean, unless you have goals, unless you have benchmarks, and yes, the public has a right to know, not just these loosey-goosey statements. All right? Just not good enough. Okay. Then there is also something that is significant. There was a common piece in the Times, according to this article, and a writer named Simon Nixon argued in favor of free trade, and he argued against calls for UK carbon border tax. Um, oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh, dear, I knew that was coming. Um, we're going to skip that part. We're, gonna, we're losing too much time. Let's skip ahead now. Now we have another um, piece in The Guardian, and it's an editorial, and it was written by former, former UK Prime Minister Gordon Brown. And the title is, quote, Despite the grand words, this G7 falls devastatingly short on vaccines. And he was focused on that. And Gordon Brown goes on to say, quote, This summit was a golden opportunity to avoid countless deaths. History will judge the rich world's failure harshly, end quote. And you know one of the um, one of the uh, factoids they have is less than one percent of sub-Saharan Africa has been fully vaccinated. And you know we have this COVAX Global Initiative for vaccines, but it's not adequate. It won't meet the needs to make sure that we achieve herd immunity. The only way we can do that is to basically waive or set aside those patent monopolies so that these countries can have the formula and create their own generics and get it done on site. That's it. In other words, corporate greed has to end. Okay? So, you know, again, Gordon Brown starts out, and it's strong, okay, the very first couple lines, this is straight from his piece, quote, the history of international summits is a tale of missed opportunities. It's this next line that really is a kicker. He's really hitting them hard. Quote, when the U.S. and Europe met, met in Avion in 1938 with the evidence of Nazi anti-Semitism stunningly clear and the risk of a looming Holocaust all too real, they turned their backs on the truth. Gordon Brown is hitting them hard. Um, then he goes on to say in 1990, with the Cold War ending, Germany focused on German unification, France on European unification. The U.S. wanted to hold NATO together, and they wanted to unite by integrating Russia into the international community. Then he talks about the financial crisis of 2009. Um, and, you know, again, he talks about the failure to rebuild this broken international architecture regarding economic decision-making that how that segued into this neo-Nazi era of America first, China first, so on and so forth. But that, that line, when the U.S. and Europe met in Evian in 1938, with the evidence of Nazi anti-Semitism stunningly clear and the risk of a looming Holocaust all too real, they turned their backs on the truth. He's right on the money, and he's really implying this, that they're doing it again, only in this instance, that the looming Holocaust has to, to, will affect all of us and has to do with the destruction of the planet. And for what? For greed. 
So then he goes on to say that the G7 in 2021, quote, will go down in history as another turning point where history failed to turn. Long after this weekend summit is over and the handshakes, protocols, and communications communicate state from memory, it will be remembered only for failing to honor Boris Johnson's pre-summit promise to vaccinate the entire world, an unforgivable moral lapse when every three months COVID-19 is destroying one million lives. And it is a different kind of Holocaust. This time, it is affecting the global south. Okay? But it's still a Holocaust. And he explains how at least 11 billion vaccine doses are needed. All right? And if we don't get that worldwide coverage, not only will the disease spread, but it will mutate and it will return. Even those of us that are fully vaccinated will be in danger again. Um, this, you know, and he explains that providing the vaccines isn't just an act of charity. It is self-protection. Okay? But again, we have big pharma and the politicians that protect them, including President Biden, that are refusing to make them back down. Keep in mind, those vaccines, especially from American pharmaceutical companies, most of the research was paid for by taxpayer dollars through the National Institute of Health. We already paid for it. Big Pharma doesn't really own it. Okay? And he goes on to say that um, Africa, the whole continent, has only received 41 million of 2.5 billion ordered doses. And that according to UNICEF, it could be 2024 before Africa reaches the same levels of vaccination as the West, if at all. Um, and the gift of 1 billion doses from rich countries, you know, it's headline grabbing, but it's really short of a solution, okay? Um, and he says we have to do what Britain has done, quote, to construct a virtuous circle, starting with guaranteed G7 funding that underwrites the pooled purchasing of vaccines, which in turn generates new manufacturing capacity on every continent. Um, and that's fine. I would argue go further. End the, the patent monopolies on the COVID vaccine and force big pharma to hand over the formulas as well as any technology they need and any um, any training to operate the technology so they can they can prepare it on site. That's it. End of story. That's what needs to happen. That way you don't have to worry about transporting them as far because they're made on site. Okay. But the patent wafer has to happen. That's it. And um, just as the G7, he says, just the G7 fell short on on uh, climate, you know, climate change funding. Okay, it also did so on COVID vaccines. Okay, and Gordon Brown's right. Now there was another piece written by um, John Queely, a staff writer for a group called Common Dreams, and again the headline on climate. In COVID-19 emergencies, G7 judged a colossal failure for all the world to see. And it was. You know, to quote, never in the history of the G7 has there been a bigger gap between their actions and the needs of the world. In the face of these challenges, the G7 have chosen to cook the books on vaccines and continue to cook the planet, end quote. And that is precisely right. Because God forbid 
We should make the billionaire class uncomfortable. So first they talk about, again, the protesters that were anti-poverty groups, climate campaigners, public health experts that were all reacting to the failure of the G7. It was an exercise in futility, wasteful futility. And there is a quote, um, you know, basically the quote, the G7 is not fit for purpose. They have operated without any concern for lives around the world or even for our own ability to end this pandemic. Um, Max Lawson, Oxfam's head of inequality policy, said in a statement, quote, this G summit will live on in infamy. And that was a response to a G7 communique at the end of the summit. Um, and Lawson goes on, <clears throat> quote, faced with the biggest health emergency, because again, the two things were the climate and COVID. Faced with the biggest health emergency in a century and a climate catastrophe that is destroying our planet, um, the leaders of the richest nations have completely failed to meet the challenges of our time. And this, yeah, never in the history of the G7 has there been a bigger gap between their actions and the needs of the world. In the face of these challenges, the G7 have chosen to cook the books on vaccines and continue to cook the planet. We don't need to wait for history to judge this summit a colossal failure. It is plain for all to see. And thank you, Max Lawson at Oxfam. And it is. Um, and he goes on to say, um, you know, basically, you know, the G7 statement made a vow to end the pandemic and prepare to drive an intensified international effort to vaccinate the world, yada, yada, yada. Uh, member nations pledged a collective one billion doses altogether. And they'll be donated to benefit middle and low income nations. The public health experts have basically said that this charity and empty rhetoric, as they call it, you know, while having no joint commitment to lift patent protections um, at the World Trade Organization, quote, makes clear the richest nations would, rather, would still rather protect the profits of the pharmaceutical industry than serve the world's poor or see the problem eviscerated, end quote. And it's true, okay? All they have to do is lift the patent protections, which they weren't entitled to in the first place. The research upon which these vaccines were based was paid for on the public dime, period. And we talked about that on, um, on Progressive News Network, you know, in our Not Dying for Wall Street series. You know, instead they're going to give charity, which is not going to do the job. Because these, these forms of virus that mutate happens very quickly. We need to move, okay? You know, tell Big Pharma, make money on something else. Okay, the vaccine belongs to all of us. So Global Justice Now Executive Director Nir Dearden um, had been there through the summit. He called the communique shameful, and he said it was a document that, quote, stresses vaccines are a public good, but he also said we need equitable access while then reinforcing the intellectual property system, which enshrines these very opposite principles. Okay, he's saying the same thing. Dearden tweeted, the G7 is not fit for purpose. Okay, and this goes on here too. And Dearden said basically it was obvious that profits were first, and that was the true commitment of Boris Johnson and the other G7 leaders. 
And Global Justice Now said the only people who will be celebrating um, what the G7 didn't achieve will be Big Pharma and some of their allies. Okay? It is paltry. Okay? It just is. Um, and the same with climate. Okay? It just is. Um, Laurie Vandenberg was quoted again, the senior campaigner for Oil Change International. The G, quote, the G7 has now fallen squarely behind what leading economists, energy analysts, and global civil society have shown is required an end to public finance for all fossil fuels. Our climate cannot afford further delay, and the failure of the G7 to heed these demands means more people impacted by the ravages of our climate chaos. Again, why are our public tax dollars funding fossil fuel exploration? We're not getting any benefit from it. We're paying through the nose. Again, that's something we should be investigating as well because it should not be, and the people responsible for it should, have, should be held accountable. Public funding should not be going to private industry, especially when you don't get a payout back. Um, and then you have here David Turnbull, who's Oil Change's Strategic Communications Director. He really emphasized Biden's first international trip as president. To quote Turnbull, quote, Biden's first trip abroad, unfortunately, can be chalked up as a missed opportunity. I hope the president's listening. Quote, despite strong statements about ending U.S. international support for all fossil fuels in the first few months of his administration, President Biden has yet to turn those statements into true action. The G7 was a key moment to show that the U.S. can be a leader in moving the world forward on bold climate action, and unfortunately, that leadership is not yet revealed itself, end quote. Okay. Uh, Oxfam International had more to say as well. Uh, Oxfam's climate change lead, Nafkote Dabi, I'm hoping pronouncing that rightly, was quoted to say uh, regarding a plan for climate adaptation for poorer nations. Quote, this plan could support green development in poorer countries, but it is lacking in detail, including on who will foot the bill. That's a very good question. It also appears to champion infrastructure to reduce emissions, while many communities are screaming out for support to adapt to the impacts of climate change, an area that re remains woefully un underfunded. You know, you know, people that are migrating from the global south because their water's been poisoned by mining operations, for instance, a lot of them Canadian mining operations, um, they're not worried about infrastructure. They're worried about having potable drinking water. You know, so once again, you have all this. You have Mother Jones reporting, okay? Um, you know, we can go on and on, but you get the drift here. All right, you just do. Um, here's the problem. We can have all the talks in the world about climate change, and, and rather than call it globing, global warming, I prefer to call it what, it what is more meaningful to the average person. Global warming may be a scientific descriptor, but it's too meek. It doesn't mean much to the average person, especially the average American who more often than not is scientifically illiterate. Call it what it is, global climate devastation and destruction, because that's what it is. 
all the talks in the world isn't going to change anything if we actually don't follow up immediately with action. It's that simple. It just is. And that means we have to put corporate and the billionaire class in their place. That no, you don't own this world. You just think you do. But we have to stand together as people, as a community. We can no, lo- no longer allow greed to divide us. You know, we've been sold this false hope that, especially here in the United States, that, you know, if you do A, B, C, and D, that perhaps you too will get rich someday. And a lot of people, especially Trumper people, Trumper idiots, believe that nonsense. Now think about it. If the majority of people in the United States, for instance, were millionaires, then being a millionaire would just be the equivalent of being median income, middle class. It wouldn't mean anything. The purchasing power would have been greatly reduced. You know, we have to come together and decide whether or not we're going to allow the very rich to continue to destroy the planet and leave us all to starve, and our children and grandchildren to starve, or whether or not we're going to stick together and save this planet if we can. And tell the rich, you can eat your damn money, but you're not going to divide us any longer. The kids are right. Greta Thunberg's right. I mean, the fact is, think about it. All the Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, you know, um, even some of the leaders that are very, very wealthy, whether it's Vladimir Putin or Queen Elizabeth, who's extremely wealthy. Think about it for a second. The money they have would be meaningless if all the rest of us just decided to do a general general strike and refuse to do anything for them. It would just be pieces of paper. Even gold would just be a useless metal. The fact is, the only way we can win this is by refusing to obey the very rich and sticking together like these kids have done, God bless them, and say everything will come to a grinding halt except maybe emergency medical services until this changes. And then we need to hold political leaders that have basically collaborated with these rich bastards, hold them accountable. That's it. You know, we worry about the rich all the time. Too many people are afraid of them, but think about it. Their money would be meaningless if, if we just did a general strike and everybody refused to do anything for them. Seriously. They would be stuck because we outnumbered them. And that's what we have to remind ourselves. We outnumber the rich, which means we can use our numbers, create an agenda to save this world with, with action, and tell their corporate lawyers, you can argue in court all you like, but guess what? No work's going to happen until this changes. That's it. Every, every time we've had any meaningful reform of any type where those that are not rich have gained some rights, it has been through the general strike or some variation. 
It hasn't been through electing people to high office. That's nonsense. They're the politicians are the very last to come on board. Most of them, whether it's the left or the right, they're waiting to see which way the wind is blowing because at the risk of sounding sexist or sound like I'm slut-shaming, they're political whores. They're going to go along with whoever has the most money. We outnumber the rich. We outnumber the police. Think about it. What would happen if all these neighborhoods in a nonviolent, helpful way decided to come together and help your neighbor? What would happen if we came together and through community councils decided we're going to have certain ordinances in our local community? No, Mr. Tarsans, you cannot dump the fracking fluid in our drinking water because no one's going to go to work, including the construction workers building the pipelines. See, we have to get through to the people that work in those industries, too. They're worried they're going to lose their jobs, so guess what? We'll turn it into a different kind of job. The fact is, money, you know, money is power. It's true. But think about what money is. Money in nature doesn't really exist. It's something human beings made up. It's Money constitutes a promissory note worth a certain preordained amount of value. In essence, money is something we made up. That's it. You can't eat money. You can't drink it. You can't plant crops with it. You can't build a house with it. It's this in-between. But big money can't do anything without, without all of us doing the work. If we refuse to do the work, everything comes to a grinding halt. That's what the kids are trying to tell us. Greta and the others, the future is in our hands. It just is. But we have to decide if we're going to stick together or we're going to just cower like a bunch of cowards. That's what it boils down to. And we need to borrow courage from groups like Black Lives Matter, God bless them. We need to get courage from groups like Extinction Rebellion. Again, God bless them. These kids know real morality. And it's not based on whether or not somebody sleeps with somebody else, a person that society approves of. It's based on fundamental fairness, true justice. Greta Thunberg's right. God bless her soul. So now the question we have to ask ourselves, at the end of the day, do we want to leave the world as some sort of uninhabitable hellhole because we were too cowardly to stick together and fight for our children and grandchildren's rights? Or are we going to organize, and are we going to have the strength to go the distance? Not just, not just slogans, you know, not empty slogans like what President Obama did with, yes, we can. Talk about vapid. We already said that, yes, we can. Yes, we can what? But people bought into it because they were so, so desperate for something to hope, so, so desperate for hope. We have to go beyond slogans. We have to organize at the local level and then at the state level and the federal level. And when somebody tries to sell out, 
they're gone. They're no longer part of the organization. And the consequence is immediate. They're just kicked out. Because we are trying to decide. We're trying to save the world. Otherwise, our kids and grandkids won't have a world that's habitable. They just won't. Greta's right. It's time to get rid of the fairy tales because they're a pack of lies. We have to face the truth, and then we have to actually set a plan, follow the plan, maybe change it as we need to, but we need to all stick together. Because at the end of the day, all of us little people, we outnumber the 1%. We outnumber the police. We even outnumber the military. And that's why they're terrified of us. That's why they have to keep abusing us psychologically because they're terrified that we will finally get a sense of our own power. And when we do, they won't have a hold on us any longer because we're the majority, not them. So the question is, as alleged adults, not only will we do the moral thing, which is difficult, do we have the courage to stand and do the right thing? It's a good question. My father always told me when it was a question of morality, you ask yourself, can you live with it? That's a question I ask all of you regarding this inaction. And I ask President Biden specifically regarding this utter failure to meet these needs. President Biden, can you live with it? And that's our show. Good night and God bless. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.